morning. Welcome to another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Prada. Today I'm looking at why the Jennifer Buck draft that was published against her knowledge is really a watershed moment for the Southern Baptist Convention. And we are looking at a watershed moment. We're seeing it happen in real time. We see who, we know why, and it's not often we understand that the turning point is happening when it is happening, but we do today. A watershed moment is defined this way, an event marking a unique or important historical change of course, or one on which important developments depend. That's from plansponsor.com. Grammarist.com defines watershed moment as a turning point, the exact moment that changes the direction of an activity or situation. Now, a brief recap is a scandal erupted uh, recently involving executive higher-ups in the Southern Baptist Convention SBC, and Tom Buck and his wife, Jennifer Buck. Now, I won't go into all the details because others have explained it more fully, what happened, and my indignation doesn't rest on the details, but is more universal than that. But let's do a brief recap. In 2018, Pastor Tom Buck's wife, Jennifer, wrote up a testimony of what Jesus had done in their marriage 25 years ago when they were newly married. This testimony had been verbally delivered many times to members of their church in counseling sessions and in other places. Locals knew of the great work Jesus had done in uniting a drifting couple from years ago, dampening their building resentments, and handling anger issues between them. Now, mighty is he to save marriages, and that was the point. The Bucks often lauded Jesus all these years for his intervention and in creating a beautiful picture over time of the gospel and its power. So in 2018, Jennifer and Tom thought, Others might be encouraged by their testimony, and Jennifer wrote it up. Not being a writer per se, Jennifer contacted someone in the literary world known for her writing and editing skills, and that person was asked to review the testimony Jennifer had written and to share constructive criticism with Jennifer so she could make um, a final draft. The person was the sole possessor of the draft, and that person was told it should remain that way until it was finalized. Sadly, the chosen editor was in a bad car accident soon after, and she dropped out of public life for a while to recover. So Jennifer's writing project, Extolling Jesus and His Intervention in Her Marriage with Tom, stalled and stayed on the back burner almost forgotten, until this month. Somehow, the draft resurfaced, 
It was passed around to executives and higher ups in the SBC, gossiped about, and then maliciously used as a weapon to try and discredit Tom, who happens to be an outspoken critic of the leftward drift of the SBC. It had been published without Jennifer's permission, and the early draft that was published contained information that in the end, Jennifer did not want made public, but somehow it was. Now, questions to ponder whether the draft was consciously and knowingly held for four years because opponents recognized its value as a weapon, or whether it was forgotten and then rediscovered recently and consciously and knowing used as a weapon. The fact remains, it was used as a weapon. It was circulated without permission. It was used to discredit a brother and a pastor in the faith, and it was used to embarrass a married couple in the faith. Now, here is the watershed moment that upsets me so greatly. I call it the choice. Someone or someones held that draft in their hand. They looked at it with the author's emotions laid on the page, her raw feelings poured out, and her heart opened bare, and all for the cause of Christ, and to extol him who saves souls and restores marriages. The someone or someone had a choice. They could use choose to use the draft for the glory of Jesus' name, its original intent, or they could use it in a gross political game to push forward a fleshly agenda and in the process deliberately hurt or even destroy a brother and sister. They could have called up Jennifer and helped her finalize the draft and happily publish it to the edification of many in their own denomination. Or they could darkly connive to use it in a way that did the most damage to someone they disliked. They could choose to glorify God or they could exalt themselves. You know what they chose. Now, these are people who lead a denomination. They are people who help others lead the denomination. And the denomination was founded for the name of Christ, and all its doings are supposed to be for the glory of Christ. Yet they chose sin, not Christ. They had a choice to choose Christ, and they didn't. They chose sin publicly, unquestionably, and shamelessly. Are these the sort of people you want leading you or representing you? No. Here is a quote from today's edition of Table Talk magazine. Speaking of glorifying Christ, quote, that brings us to the way, the fifth way that God is glorified, which is not in parts, but in the whole of our lives. Just as God's own glory is in the fullness of his being, so must our response of glorifying him be found not in limited actions, but in the whole fabric 
of our lives. We may think that God wants actions of a certain kind, but God wants people of a certain sort, C.S. Lewis wrote. In other words, we glorify God by consecrating the whole of our lives, every hour, every relationship, every conversation, every possession, every endeavor, with faith and repentance, starting and stumbling and beginning ever anew to him. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. That was from Table Talk magazine. Well, what, quote, sort of people, unquote, are these anyway? Dead. Too harsh? Let's see. Revelation 3, 1 says to the church at Sardis, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, and yet you are dead. Well, the SBC had a reputation for a long time of being people of the book, of being stalwart in their pursuit of God, of being conservative, of aligning with the Bible in all its precepts. At times, there was even a whiff of smug satisfaction that those other denominations were drifting, becoming liberal. But the SBC remains the lone city on a hill, shining its beacon abroad. Hmm. Yet at some point, the loose conglomeration of people in this organization, and I won't even call it a denomination anymore, for I fear it has nothing to do with Christ at its highest decision-making levels, it became infected with rot. Trees suffer from something arborists call heart rot, and it's apt. The reputation went on in front of the SBC, but it, and its deeds became known. So they seemed to be alive, but are dead. Too harsh? Well, the church at Sardis was told otherwise in Revelation 3. It is possible for a church to seem to be thriving and active and performing many deeds, but inside it, the heart rot was killing it all along. It happened to Sardis, and in my opinion, it happened to the SBC. Let's read McLaren's expositions of that verse from Revelation 3.1. One characteristic of their death and this is McLaren's expositions, is that they have forgotten what they were in better and happier times, and therefore now need the exhortation. Remember how thou hast received and did hear? They have fallen so far that the height on which they once stood is out of their sight, and they are content to lie on the muddy flat at its base. No stings from conscious declines disturb them. They are too far gone for that. The same round of formal Christian service which marked their decline from their brethren hid it from themselves. 
That was McLaren's exposition of Revelation 3.1, which I thought was apt. Someone or someones held a document in their hand. They could use it to exalt the name of Christ, or they could use it to try and destroy brethren. You know what they chose. Now they are lying in a muddy pig pen at the base of a mountain whose apex they can no longer even see. And worst of all, they seem happy there. Luke 8.17 says, For nothing is concealed that will not become evident, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Well, this has been another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Prada, and I hope you have a thoughtful day. Thank you.